also at the time of year where um, we ask people to uh, volunteer or re-volunteer to do things, uh, helping in the church and being involved in ministry. And uh, there seems to be, we've discovered some sort of this um, mystery around the whole idea of ministry. And so I've called our talk this morning, Ministry for Dummies, uh, referring to the fact that if dummies like us can do it, then anybody can. Uh, now ministry, of course, can be anything from putting out the chairs to, to preaching a message, to making pancakes, to singing, which we're not going to do, um, but anything that's actually above merely uh, attending. Uh, and everybody, I think, has something to contribute in terms of ministry. Uh, but very often people are afraid to make that step because they can't see how they can be possibly like the people that they see doing ministry. Because, and I, and I, I hope I'm sort of reasonably correct here, people look and, and sort of think that sometimes there's got to be something special about people doing ministry, that they've been touched. Sometimes I know people think I'm touched. Um, but there's this sort of barrier to becoming a minister of any sort of, of the gospel um, because something special has to happen to a person. So we're actually here this morning to dispel this myth and we thought the best way to do that would be to parallel our stories with that of the Apostle Paul. Now you might think that we've got quids on ourselves for doing something like that. But really I actually want to point out that Paul was not the ideal candidate for ministry. And in some ways our stories parallel his and sometimes anti-parallel, if that's a word. Um, so first of all, I want to do a bit of scriptural stuff because we're preaching and we should do that. Um, so Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 it talks about Paul, who was actually, of course, called Saul at that point. And he was a witness to the killing of Stephen. Now, I'm sorry, Stephen, um, nothing personal here. Um, and he, he agreed, it says he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the region of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Sounds like the perfect person that you want in your church. Now, our life before church wasn't quite as extreme as Paul's, but we were certainly not ideal for church membership, never mind actually ministry. Uh, and I'm going to hand it over to Vicky just to give you an insight of what her actions and thinking and lifestyle was like before we actually became Christians. Over to you. I'll we'll interrupt when necessary. <laughs> we, we were actually on our own path and doing our own thing and I certainly for myself did not believe that there was a God let alone um, believe in church or Christianity in any way. I just thought that God did not exist and um, is that what you want me to tell them? Sure. And, and, uh, and was happy to go my own way. I thought the whole idea of, of God speaking the world into existence was, I thought that was the biggest load of rot anybody could ever tell anybody. And I was adamant about that. And if anybody ever tried to talk to me about God Speak to in any way, that's literally what I would do. I'd put my hand up and I'd just go, don't want to talk about it. Don't want to know about it. Because I didn't. I was slightly different. 
as you can tell, I'm probably not quite as aggressive as Vicky is in, in the first place. But I, I, w I was brought up a Catholic um, as a child uh, in a very um, religious household. My mother was Catholic and my father was uh, Church of England. And uh, so every Sunday they went their separate ways. My mother took the kids to church and my father stayed in bed. Um, <laughs> except on Easter and Christmas when he actually went off to church. Um, and that was all I'd heard about being Church of England, is that you only had to go to church twice a year. So I was thinking that was a better, better choice than being Catholic, because I was dragged along every Sunday. Not only that, I was made an altar boy. So I had to be there because I had to ring the bells and light the candles, and, which in some ways was a lot of fun. Until at the age of 14, I think my girlfriend accused me of hypocrisy because she discovered that I used to kiss her on Saturday night and go and confess it as a sin on Sunday morning. <laughs> and she said I had to either stop going to church or stop kissing her, so I stopped going to church. That happened to be me. <laughs> yeah. So she was a bad influence from the start. Um, and I guess I went through life pretty much as an agnostic. I, I really didn't know much about God, despite being brought up a Catholic. Um, I certainly didn't have any idea that there was uh, a personal relationship with him waiting to happen. Um, and although I quite liked some of the principles of Christianity, I and we led a lifestyle which wasn't Christian really in any sense of the word. Um, we were naughty young people and enjoyed every minute of it. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a strange Don't say journey. Anything else. <laughs> but something changed. Something did change. We, um, we had a family. We got married. We had children. In, that, um, in the right order. Yeah. We got married at 21. Um, as Chris said, he was not going to church because I'd told him that he was a hypocrite, <laughs> which was fair enough, he was. But, but I now realise the impact of what I said. Um, and so we, we got married at 21. Um, at 27... Uh, I had Kirsty at 29, we had Ben. When we were 31, we were invited to church. Um, up until that point, as I said, it was talk to the hand. I didn't want to know about it. And I really, it's, it's an interesting story because looking back over that time, people have said to me, but you must have had some sort of spiritual understanding and you just suppressed it or you didn't want to know about it or whatever. And I really don't think I did. I really had nothing. There was nothing there because it wasn't in my background. I wasn't raised in any way in church, knew nothing about God, just thought the whole idea was completely ridiculous and, and that was it. So for me to do a turnaround is actually quite a miraculous thing because I was very, very much, if you knew me then, the other way. Liz did know me then. Did you not, Liz? And she could attest to the fact that I was not happy to talk religion, God, anything in any way. Anyway, at about age 31, we were invited to church and uh, we found all sorts of excuses for a while not to go, but we also, at that time in our life, were involved with... Uh, I'll just go, Amway, and sort of make out that, <laughs> that didn't, I didn't say that. Um, but, look... No matter what you think about that, it was actually a really good thing because we were learning 
um, a whole lot more than we realised at the time and we had opened ourselves up to the fact that perhaps there was more to life than the way that we'd been living it and perhaps, just perhaps, there might actually be a God who not only cared about us but that we needed to somehow acknowledge in our life. And so when we were invited to church, um, we... We were ready, I guess. We, we, we were kind of ready. Um, we put it off for a few weeks, but we did eventually go. Yeah. Also, um, my job was not what you'd call one which would um, predispose you to believing in God. I went to university, did a science degree, and worked for 20 years in medical research, um, doing scientific things, which a lot of people think science and, and religion are opposed to one another. Um, although I've discovered that that isn't actually the case. In fact, most great scientists were Christians. Um, but it was certainly a vocation which I enjoyed immensely, I might add. Um, I really enjoyed um, the work that I did uh, and to some degree still miss it a bit. Um, but really, you did, the main point of it is you don't actually give much thought to anything except what you're working on. And I guess the big problem I discovered with science is that the more you do it, the, the adage that you know more and more about less and less is really true. I mean, people talk about scientific advances and, and, and people believe, if you like, in science. But the reality is that most of the things that we see in the news or on television programs about science are so skimming the surface that most of us have actually no understanding. Uh, and in fact, the conclusions we come to about a lot of scientific research, be it sort of stem cell research or cancer research or any of these sort of things, uh, so far from what is actually going on under the surface that we're, we're really quite ignorant. And uh, it's uh, some of the arguments that people come up with for and against scientific advances and things are actually almost as good as a neutral advert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not that I've ever seen one. Uh, so yeah, we, we, we'd reached a stage in our life where we were looking for more than what we were doing. We were relatively well off, we were both working until the kids came along, and then only Vicky was working. Uh, I had a job, um, <laughs> and was bringing was in money, good. but she was, I mean, and I'm not joking, at one point when Ben was, I don't know, about 18 months old, eight, eight months old, uh, Vicky actually had a nervous breakdown and had to be put in hospital for the weekend. Um, because her health had deteriorated so badly. They stuck her in, a, in an emergency bed in the, in the emergency ward with, uh, uh, surrounded by people who were drunk and dying. Um, it was a really restful weekend for me, um, but not for, not for Vicky. Um, so, yeah, we were looking for something more than the, the daily grind, I guess, and that was one of the reasons we got involved with Amway. Um, and uh, began on, on, this, on this journey. But then, of course, after going to church, we had to come to that decision about what God was going to be like in our lives. And, and it's interesting to read about Paul's conversion, which was in Acts chapter 9. And this happened while, and it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he was still pretty anti the whole thing. He went to the high priest, requested letters addressing the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, which is what Christians were called then, that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, 
which was actually fairly significant because women weren't considered in the Jewish religion at least to have any consequence um, in terms of their beliefs. Uh, but Christianity changed all that because Christ treated women as equals and uh, therefore he was actually uh, probably one of the first people who was interested in arresting men and women uh, for anything, which I'm not too sure was appreciated by the women at the time, but um, it's a quality of a sense. Um, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He must have had a clue, otherwise he wouldn't have stuck that Lord on the end. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, I'd like to say that something like that happened to us. But it didn't. Um, but that should actually be hopeful. Who, who has had a dramatic experience like that with God? Nobody here. And so it's encouraging, I think, to know that neither did we. In fact, ours was fairly mild. Um, I'll tell my part first because I went first. We, we, we started going to church um, twice, uh, well, once, once a week. We used to go Sunday mornings and we used to go to Glenelg from Paynham. And we'd drive, and I, I just loved uh, the pastor we had, was a great preacher. I hated the singing, couldn't understand what the singing was for, um, but I put up with it so that I could hear the word of God preached. And I, I just absorbed it like a sponge. I don't know what it was, but it excited me, energised me. And so we'd been, and after every service, that they had this thing where they, they invited people to accept Jesus into their lives, um, which I thought was yeah, nice. Obviously, mature people come to a revelation where they suddenly get this blinding flash that, Jesus is, is real to them and, and, they, uh, and they make this decision. And so I, I used to go to church waiting for this to happen to me. It's sort of perhaps when I became more mature as a Christian, perhaps when I really understood the deeper secrets, you know, I, I still thought there was perhaps an Illuminati or, or something behind the whole thing. I mean, I was that naive that I thought that the worship team came up on stage and sang the first thing that came into their heads because they were guided by the Holy Spirit. When I discovered that they actually had rehearsals before the service, I was mortified. <laughs> I mean, I thought just God operated sovereignly in the service and, and people didn't actually make plans. They didn't have an a, um, a order of service or a running sheet or anything. They, they just God did stuff. And I was, I was a bit disappointed when I discovered that the service was actually planned. Uh, in fact, when we became pastors for the first couple of years, I didn't ever plan any of my services because I just liked to fly by the seat of my pants. Uh, it took me five years to realise that nobody else liked flying by the seat of their pants <laughs> and that things went a lot better when I introduced a running sheet. Um, but I was sitting there absorbing the word of God but not really understanding this whole idea about making a decision to actually be counted as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it probably took I don't know, six weeks uh, before I actually understood that it was a decision I had to make. The invitation that God had made was open the whole time. That if I wanted to accept God's offer of salvation, of, of a, a relationship with his son Jesus Christ, I could do that at any time. 
the offer was always there. But I had to actually take a step of faith and, and accept that offer. And so one Sunday morning, they asked for, a, you know, if, if you want to give your life to, to Christ this morning, put up your hand. So I did, and they said, come out the front, and we'll pray for you. And I did. But we all had it, because they said, close your eyes, and when nobody's looking, put your hand up, which I did. And of course, Vicky had her eyes closed, and she didn't put her hand up. And so suddenly I disappear out the front, and she's standing there thinking, what the heck is he doing? Where's he gone? And I came back, and she said, what did you do? And I said, well, I, I just gave my life. To Jesus, And she said, well, you didn't tell me you were going to do that. I said, well, I didn't really know. It just felt right. And she said, well, that's charming, that is. Now we have to come back tonight so that I can do it. <laughs> and so we did. That's true. That's exactly how it went. We, we had been coming to church for about five weeks and we had started walking around the house saying, I guess that we're going to have to acknowledge God somewhere in our life. We were kind of surrounded with it at that point and we realised that there was more to life than just us living our life alone and that God did exist and that he wanted a relationship with us and we, we came to that realisation over those five weeks of going to church. So we'd already started to say that this is something we needed to do. And I was quite upset when Chris did that without me. We were still sort of taking everything in at that point because, as you can probably tell, we were extremely naive. Um, coming from, from a non-church background into church, knew nothing, didn't know how it worked, didn't know anything about anything. So it was all very new. So Chris put his hand up and literally we went back that night and I put my hand up. And, and that was a simple, it wasn't a big deal, there was no blinding flash, so we weren't, nothing like Paul's experience. We just literally made a decision. And that was the beginning of our journey. And it was a slow journey. Um, we were not, um, we've never had, I think I can honestly say, we've actually never had any desire to be in ministry. Um, I've always been bullied into helping, very gently, um, but mainly because I didn't understand. I can remember asking my pastor after I'd been saved for three weeks um, when I was allowed to tithe because I thought you know, this was something that mature Christians did and I've told this story before because I couldn't afford it and I knew that if we tithed we'd go broke um, and so I thought there was obviously some provision that God miraculously put on people to enable them to tithe when they were mature enough as Christians. And so I asked him when this was likely to be. <laughs> and he said, we'll try it. And, and, we did. and so we, we, we knew nothing. It's like it was four or five weeks and Vicky said, you know, this, there's people in this church that speak in tongues. And I said, get out of town. <laughs> they do not. She said, you, you wait till next time you hear them. And I, and I listened and sure enough they were. And we, we looked at each other. We're in a weird church. <laughs> we're in a church full of loonies. This is amazing. How do we become loonies as well? And so we ask Chris, how do you speak in tongues? Well, you practice. How, how do you practice? And so and we practice for months. Let me tell you, it was you know, there's books, there's words in the Bible, there's a city called Harubabu in the Old Testament. And they say if you say that often enough, you start speaking in tongues. And so you would sit there going, Harubabu, Rubabu, Rubabu, <laughs> until you were short of breath and just nothing happened. And you saw, and there was nothing particularly spiritual about a lot of this. It was sort of sitting in the, in the lounge room practicing stuff. It's like, you know, I didn't feel warm or fuzzy or a tingly feel of the Holy Spirit or anything. In fact, I only got to speak in tongues because Vicky managed it first. She was in the shower 
Um, were you in the show? You were on the phone to a friend. She, she was talking to a friend of ours at church and they, they, were, they were comparing how they were practicing. <laughs> and suddenly Vicky said, hang on, I, I, I'm doing that without... And then she rang me up and I was at work. And she rings me up on the phone and says, listen, I can speak in tongues. And she does it to me over the phone. And luckily it was in a sort of little corner of the, the lab where nobody could hear. And I said, oh, I can do that too. And, and that's, how, that's how it happened. Um, over the phone, believe it or not. So you can get a hotline to heaven. Um, and none of these things seem particularly spiritual. And yet they were, they were landmarks on our way to actually understanding a relationship with God, and they didn't happen instantly, and they didn't seem to happen particularly miraculously for us. But the thing that we had in our hearts was a desire to learn these things. We were hungry for all of it, um, and that was really the only thing that I think kept us moving forward. I, I still remember in those early few years in in church, we had a visiting pastor one time, and he had a prophecy for Chris, and he actually said to him that I see you in the spirit like a little puppy dog and we're thinking that's not good is it a puppy dog is it a little baby or something and he said no I see you like, like a like a little puppy gets so excited and it jumps up and down and just wants everything <laughs> you know give me give me give me give me how he saw Chris like that and you know that was really accurate because that's how we were in those days very serious we were really. we were young and I guess we were like that puppy and we just wanted everything. We wanted to learn, we wanted to know and we wanted to grow really fast. So we sort of came from nothing to wanting to know everything. And yet we still probably for a, a few years because of our naivety I guess uh, didn't really want to get involved in stuff because we didn't think we were capable. I can still remember the first time I was invited to a prayer meeting because they had a, a leaders prayer meeting once a week. And I got invited to it and I thought, why are they inviting me? Because I'm not a, not a leader. And when I got there, what they, they'd stand in a big circle and they'd go round the circle praying. And I thought, uh-oh, I've got myself stuck here because when it gets to me, they're going to expect me to say something. And so luckily the short silence that ensued was taken up by the person next to me and I didn't have to. But I can remember going to these things being absolutely petrified that somebody was going to ask me to open my mouth. I know you find that difficult to believe now. But I really, we were really so unsure of ourselves that we, we actually didn't want to get involved. We ha had to be coerced into doing even just little things. Now before I go into how that, that worked, uh, just our, our last scripture this morning uh, talks about what happened with Paul. Uh, in Acts 13, chapter 1, he had joined the church at Antioch, or was in the church there at Antioch, um, and there was Barnabas and Lucius um, and uh, Manan and Saul. And it says, One day as these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work which, for which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out with the Holy Spirit. And so we can see there was a time at which Saul himself was actually anointed to go and start ministering to churches. And he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't sent to Bible school. He, he wasn't given a, a handbook of instructions to do it. Uh, they laid hands on him and said, off you go. Now, 
we take great encouragement of that because I've never been to Bible college. Um, nobody ever gave me a book of instructions. Uh, we've written one now, but who knows whether they're right or not. Um, and so, like, like Saul, our, our path was fairly convoluted in terms of the ministry. My first ministry was doing the, uh, the Rise and Build booklet. Uh, this was done on a, it was, it, was a, it was a laptop, but I can still remember having to borrow the laser printer from the pastor, and it used to take 30 minutes to print the first page. It's in black and white, too. And so to do a, a double-sided, what we used to do is we'd print a double-sided one and then photocopy it, because that was faster. Um, and I used to do that uh, once a month. We'd put out a newsletter talking about Rise and Build, and, um, although it wasn't called that then. I can't remember what it was. Um, but th that, was, that was my sole involvement. I just collected articles for this letter, put it together in... I don't even know what the word, the word processing... It might have been Word. I guess it was that Word. I don't know whether you can remember it. It used to have a blue background and white text. Used to come on a set of floppy disks. No, I've lost you all. Um, and then we were asked because we had small children. We were asked to help in crash, uh, and I was I was the only male to help in in crash at the time. Uh, not sure whether I was proud of that or a little ashamed. Um, but I got to do all the fun things. I got to change other people's babies' nappies. Now changing your own's fine, but changing other people's babies is. I've learned a lot. Um, don't ask me to do it now, but if necessary, I know that I can change your baby's nappies if you need it. But um, last resort, please. Uh, and so we moved on. Have you? No, no. Um, what did we do next? Cleaned, cleaned the hall. Uh, cleaned the toilets. Once I'd got baby's poo, I was I was bound for the real stuff. And so toilet cleaning was our next ministry. And, uh, and vacuuming the carpet uh, on, on the church hall. And we, 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 we loved to help. I mean, that, they were non-threatening things for me. I also got involved in the sound uh, for the worship team. Uh, and these were just little things that we felt we were just doing our bit, just helping. Um, we even got involved in the building fund because I discovered I was allowed to do that as well. Um, but we didn't really do anything in terms of working with people until the whole idea of uh, what were called back then cell groups came along, what we now call connect groups. Um, because before that they had home church where we had fairly church structured meetings in people's homes. You'd go in a group of six of you and, and one of them would have a guitar or a keyboard and you'd sing to start with, which you can imagine me in a group of six people, how loud I wanted to sing. Um, and we had scripture studies and, and that was it, a cup of coffee and we, we went home. And the whole idea of cell groups was that they were a bit more structured. Uh, they were related to the Sunday service. Um, there perhaps wasn't any more singing. Hooray! Um, but they needed leaders for them. And so the, the pastor asked, me, asked us whether we'd be interested in leading one. And so Vicky said, well, I guess we could. So she sent me to this meeting for these leaders. And I got there and he said, where's Vicky? And I said, well, she's at home. He said, no, no, she's got to be here too. And so I rang her up and said, get in the other car. We, you've got to come up here to this meeting. 
And so we, we came up to the meeting and he said, no, no, I don't want you to be connect group leaders, I want you to be leaders of connect group leaders. And we're looking at each other going, what the, we don't know anything about this sort of thing. So he said, sure, if that's what you want to do, we'll give it a shot, thinking that you know, if we get fired in a week, nothing lost. Um, and so that, that's how we started. We became area leaders for connect groups and then we had two areas to look after. And then we got involved in um, what was the promotions team at, at the time where we, um, we looked at ways of uh, helping and thanking our volunteers. And we used to have an announcement every Sunday. We'd give them packets of those chocolate elephants. Stop, stop giving them ideas. <laughs> They'll um, say we don't do that now. What, what else did we do? Just lots of. I think Vicky we. Vicky sang I think, on the worship I th- team. I, I did. I think pretty much we served in every area of church life over the coming years because we could see that we just. It was our church. We loved God. We were learning and we were growing. We were developing relationships not only with God but with one another. And we just we just wanted to do whatever we could to help. And so we didn't care whether it was something we liked or something we didn't like. We just wanted to be involved and feel connected, didn't we? So that's yeah. what we did. Um, now, our, our road to becoming pastors of the church was extremely rocky, and I, I won't actually go into that in great detail because we don't have the time. Um, but basically, uh, the church we were in, uh, the leadership collapsed uh, through moral failure, uh, and Vicky and I were drawn in as, as uh, area leaders of connect groups with a committee of about... Um, seven or eight people who uh, were intent on keeping the church together and so we ran the church as a committee for um, eight months or so and we'd just take it in turns to preach. Uh, my first uh, message from the pulpit was to let the congregation know that the pastor had left with the worship leader. Um, not, a, not a really inspiring message um, but still memorable. Uh, and so I'd, I'd preach once every couple of months, so probably three or four times. And I used to have seven pages of single-space type notes and I'd read for the lot. It must have been horrible. <laughs> it really must. Uh, we had another pastor come in uh, to help us transition uh, from the financial morass that we had found ourselves in um, to a better place. Uh, and then a, another pastor from a church in New South Wales decided that uh, he was going to come and help us out and run the church. And he did a very good job for 12 months, um, but got very homesick. And one day he turned up and said, look, I'm going back. Uh, you have two choices. Uh, you can take on the church or we'll close the doors. Now, prior to that, we'd actually had two prophecies which had implied that at some stage we were going to take over a church, uh, which we'd steadfastly ignored because we didn't want to. Uh, we had as much leadership as we wanted at the time, in fact more. Uh, I didn't want to be a pastor because I knew that every pastor I'd served under could sing. And they used to lead worship. And I thought, well, there's no way that I'm ever going to do that. So obviously it's out. I cannot be a pastor because I can't sing and I'm not going to lead worship. Um, Unfortunately, I discovered that you don't have to do that. Um, But when this announcement came, we, we actually looked at each other and said, well, okay. I think if this is what God's got for us, then we're just going to have to do it. Um, and we felt that, that same sort of call. We, we had hands laid on us and told us, OK, go out and do it. And that was as, 
as knowledgeable and as confident and as willing as we started. Come on, you can add something. What did you want to be? Did not want to be a pastor's wife. <laughs> no way. No, it, it was... Look, it's been an incredible journey, but it's all really to let you know our story so that you understand that wherever you have come from, whatever it is that you're facing right now, <laughs> there's hope. <laughs> you know, it's a matter of sticking in and it's a matter of getting to know God, um, loving people and loving God, really. God has tremendous things for us, but sometimes we're not always willing to go where he wants us to go. And, you know, he finds ways to get around that even taking the unwilling and creating situations. <laughs> and it turns out to be the best thing that you've ever done. Yeah. Um, just to give you an idea, our first service, um, I don't think we had communion. We had a, a reasonable worship team, so that was all right. And I had my seven pages of notes to preach from. Um, but when I got to the end of it, I thought, people do altar calls. And I had no idea how to do an altar call. Uh, and so I made it up as I went along. And I've been doing that ever since. Um, I mean, when we first moved into this hall, every couple of weeks we'd change it around. We, we'd, we used to have the band up that end, and then we'd have them back down this end, and then we used to have them along that wall and open the door behind uh, Jane there uh, to, as an entrance. Um, we, we'd try anything. I didn't realise that actually for most people it was horribly upsetting to come into church and not know what it was going to look like that week. Um, but we, we, we learnt. We, we tried all sorts of different things. Um, it was about at that stage, I think, we'd had the church for three months and the first national conference uh, that we went to was held. We'd never been to a conference. We'd never visited a church outside our own. Uh, we'd only just discovered there was a C3 church in Salisbury. And they had an evening service and they were, they were quite shocked because we were all excited. There was another C3 church in Adelaide and so we all rocked up there to their service in the evening, sort of doubled their numbers and uh, were horrified at what we'd been missing out on um, because we'd, we'd had so much going on in our own church we didn't realise what it was like to be involved in a, a connected church that was connected to the C3 movement. And so that was the first time we'd been to a conference, seen what the bigger picture was and been able to bring that back here, which is why we always encourage people to go to conferences like Presence, just to get a, a feel for the fact that we might be, a, be a, a local church, but we're actually connected to something bigger. And that, even though it's bigger, they're all people just like us, and they're all sort of aiming for the same thing. Um, and it helps that feeling that you, you're small and insignificant and not doing anything, because you're actually making a, a contribution to a much bigger picture that is invaluable. So don't ever discount what you do in your local church. It's meaningless because it actually means a lot. And uh, we're certainly very proud of everything that we've seen you guys do over the years. And uh, we just want to encourage you. This, you know, as I said, I've done a few Bible courses now, but I don't have any qualifications from Bible college. Um, I, I've, I've learned as I've gone along which means that, of course, initially, I was really bad at it. But you know what they say. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing badly until you can get better at it. Um, and so we've been able to give a lot of other people opportunities to rise uh, and do things uh, because of our size in churches that perhaps if they were bigger, in a bigger church, you wouldn't get an opportunity to do. 
so I encourage you to take advantage of that. There are, there are things you can get involved with, there are things you can start to do that you just do not know where it's going to lead. And it's 18 years ago we had no idea and if, that it was going to lead to us pastoring a church and if we did we'd have um, left immediately um, because that was the furthest thing from our minds and the last thing we wanted. But if you put your life in God's hands, things happen which, although can be challenging and trying and confusing, always end up working out better than you could have ever dreamed or imagined. So in line with that, this morning, can I ask you all to close your eyes? Because I want to offer you the same offer that was given to me when I wandered blithely into a church and came to realise that God was going to be the most important person in my life. And if you have never taken that step of saying, okay, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to have Jesus Christ as my Lord, my Saviour, the centre of my life, so that my life can change and have amazing things happen. Then in a moment, I want to give you that opportunity. You may have done it before and found your life slipping away and not being in a relationship with Jesus anymore. He loves to invite people back. He's the God of the second, third, hundredth chance. He will never give up reaching out to you as long as we are persistent in reaching back to him. So if that's you this morning, you want to connect with Jesus Christ. When you put your hand up, I'm going to forewarn you, I'm going to ask you to come out the front at the end and we're going to pray together because I believe that we need to make a statement in front of witnesses to say, this is, this is what I am doing this day. But while nobody's looking around at the moment, if that's you, you want to make that decision, you want to pray a prayer that brings you back into relationship with Jesus Christ, can you raise your hand for me, please? Right now. Anyone at all. Excellent. You can open your eyes.